Good morning. Happy Easter. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad you're here. I would like to extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us for the first time, and I invite you to fill out a visitor card that's on the back of the pew in front of you. If you have any questions about this congregation or Unitarian Universalism, please stop by the visitor's table after worship and ask any one of the um, knowledgeable and friendly people there about this faith, and they will be happy to talk to you about it. It is our goal to welcome people of all socioeconomic backgrounds, skin tones, gender identifications, sexual preferences, political affiliations, taste in music, um, many other categories which we try not to think in. This faith has a long heritage and history. Part of our heritage is believing that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is as part of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. From William Schultz, come into this place of peace and let its silence heal your spirit. Come into this place of memory and let its history warm your soul. Come into this place of prophecy and power and let its vision change your heart. Whenever anyone asks what your church is all about, you can say, we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Today's reading for meditation is from Sarah Morse Campbell and is titled, Rolling Away the Stone. In the tomb of the soul... We carry secret yearnings, pains, frustrations, loneliness, fears, regrets, worries. In the tomb of the soul, we take refuge from the world and its heaviness. In the tomb of the soul, we wrap ourselves in the security of darkness. Sometimes this is a comfort. Sometimes it is an escape. Sometimes it prepares us for experience. Sometimes it insulates us from life. Sometimes this tomb life gives us time to feel the pain of the world and reach out to heal others. Sometimes it numbs us and locks us up with our own concerns. In this season where light and dark balance the day, We seek balance for ourselves. Grateful for the darkness that has nourished us, we push away the stone and invite the light to awaken us to the possibilities within us and among us. Possibilities for new life in ourselves and in our world. So on this Easter morning... 
Christians all over the world are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In a room like this, where Unitarian Universalists with Christian backgrounds and beliefs, Buddhists, goddess worshippers, yoga practitioners, astrologers, and astronomers all sit side by side, we celebrate the resurrection as a truth, as a metaphor, as a story. We come with open hearts to listen, to feel, to think, to share with one another. On past Easter's, in other congregations and in future Easter's in this congregation, I'll talk about Jesus, about his rabble-rousing, about him being dangerous to the worldview and power of those in charge. How the faith story says that in the tomb for three days after that, he rose again from the dead. In future years, I will also talk about Astarte or Ishtar, about um, after whom this season is named, Easter Ishtar. Um, she took a trip down to the underworld, came back up again. We'll talk about that another Sunday. But this morning, I'm going to talk to you about another story of... Uh, life in the midst of death and darkness. This story takes place in Stalag 8A, a group of French prisoners together in the freezing cold. The story begins with a young musician, Olivier Messiaen. He was an organist, and he was the youngest organist ever to be the cathedral organist at Trinity Cathedral in Paris. He'd had the job eight years when Germany invaded Poland. He was conscripted into the French army. His eyesight was too bad to be a soldier on the front line, and so he was a furniture mover and a medical orderly. This is what war does to composers and organists and poets and writers and people of all sorts. At Verdun, he met a cellist named Etienne Pasquier. Pasquier had played with his brothers. He was a very good cellist, and they had played with the great musicians of the time. He played all the best venues of the time. At 13, Pasquier won first prize in cello at the Paris Conservatory. The two musicians became friends, and Etienne Pasquier was in charge of the duties that the soldiers were assigned, and so Messiaen asked him, if he would please assign them each the duty of morning watch, where they got to get up very, very early and listen to the bird song at the beginning of the day. Pasquet writes this about what it sounded like. The moment was still. Then all of a sudden we heard, peep, a small cry of a bird, a bird giving the pitch like a conductor. Five seconds later, all the birds started singing together like an orchestra. Listen to them, Messiaen would say. They're giving each other assignments. They will reunite tonight, and they'll recount what they saw during the day. This is what Messiaen wrote.
A clarinetist had come to Verdun. He was from an Algerian family. His name was Henri Akoka. His father had been a freelance trumpeter, and they had moved to France so his father could find work. Henri had studied clarinet and went to the Paris Conservatory. Like Etienne Pasquier in cello, Henri Akoka won the first prize in clarinet. So, when Messiaen wrote this piece that you just heard, entitled Abyss of the Birds, it was extremely difficult to play. Improbable leaps, imitations of the birds' songs. Its rhythm leaves regular time, regular European Western musical time signatures behind. Messiaen had studied Greek meter, and he had studied the complex Indian tabla rhythms, and he used both of those in his composition. During this time, the Germans began bombarding the French troops, and they had to flee. They were captured by German soldiers before they got very far, and they were forced to march with no food and no water to the Stalag for captured French soldiers. Along the way, the clarinetist Akoka helped Etienne Pasquier, the cellist, helped him keep going, lifting him when he was weak from hunger and thirst, encouraging him. On the way to the Stalag, they would camp overnight in big fields, and it was one of, one of these great big fields guarded by German soldiers that this piece, Abyss of the Birds, was first played. Pasquier had not brought his cello for obvious reasons when he was fleeing. And he performed the function of the music stand, holding the score for Akoka. Every now and then during the piece, Akoka would stop and say, I cannot play this, I can't play this. And Messiaen would be like, oui, 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 yes you can, yes you can, keep going. Arriving at the camp, all the prisoners were stripped naked. A soldier tried to take the knapsack that Messiaen had, that had his Bible in it and his musical scores. And the story goes that Messiaen gave the soldier such an evil look that the soldier backed off and let him have the scores and let him have his Bible. He read that Bible every day. He was a believing, practicing Catholic. And he talked until the end of his life about where the energy for that evil look had come from. The musicians were treated a little bit better than other prisoners, with more coal in the stove to keep the, the cold at bay, a little extra piece of bread now and then to eat. Another soldier, future French president François Mitterrand, would join them sometimes in their room. The Polish prisoners were treated very badly, and the Eastern European Jews, but the French soldiers were treated a little bit better because uh, France was collaborating with the Nazis. Messiaen was given a room in which to compose undisturbed. Messiaen's wife later on said it was a latrine, but uh, nevertheless, it was a place where he could be alone. At the camp, there was a jazz band. There was a monthly newsletter put out by the prisoners. 
they uh, invited one another to give lectures on areas of expertise that they had, and so they were, the intellectual life of the camp went on. Uh, the Germans wanted to look a little bit better for the Red Cross, and so they gave musical instruments to the prisoners. Well, not to every prisoner. For 30,000 prisoners, there were five violins, two cellos, one piano. Pasquier was put to work in a granite mine where he almost lost a finger to a chainsaw, so they moved him uh, to the kitchen where they felt that his hands would be in less danger. Messiaen and Akoka were fascinated with one another's faith because Messiaen had faith in God and Akoka had faith in humanity and he believed in revolution. And so Messiaen would say, my friend, you and I both have faith, we just have faith in different things. Akoka had faith in his ability to escape and so he talked about nothing else. In fact, he escaped twice and was captured and brought back both times. One time he almost made it to the border, the second time, and he was captured. He charmed the soldiers. Now, Akoka was a Jewish man, and so he could have been sent straight to a concentration camp. But he played his clarinet for the soldiers, and he had a very pleasing personality, and so they brought him back to the Stalag. Music literally saved his life. Messiaen had very vivid dreams. Maybe it was because of the long nights of below zero temperatures. Maybe it was because of his hunger. But he had this dream over and over about an angel with a crown, a rainbow crown of many colors, emerald and gold and garnet. And uh, the angel was as big as the planet, he said. And what the angel kept saying was, there will be no more time. This image of the enormous angel was a great comfort to Messiaen during the cold and during the hunger. He had felt when he came to the camp that he would never compose again, that he maybe didn't even remember how to do it. But the image of the angel was so comforting to him and so inspiring to him, he began to write again. And he wrote these pieces that make up the work called Quartet for the End of Time. We don't know whether the end of time was about uh, war and its horrors making him think that the world was going to come to an end, or was it about spending time at the Stalag and comforting himself that soon it would be over, or was he referring to leaving the regular time signatures behind? Thank you. 
This very piece that you're listening to was finished in the winter of 1940. Messiaen had a place to practice. As I said, the musicians had a room. They had a little extra coal. They had a little, a little extra bread. The room was not theirs alone, though. It was crowded with other prisoners, and it was noisy. But their fingers could still work. And so they practiced and practiced. The premiere of the piece, it was performed January 15, 1941. As Messiaen had been a famous composer already before he was conscripted into the army, the officers of the camp were deluged with requests for tickets. So, the room held about 350 people. It was crammed that night with officers, prisoners, guards. They brought in wounded men and lay them on the floor in front of the musicians. By this time, a violinist had shown up named Jean Laboulaire. Uh, the four men borrowed suits from the other prisoners. They were patched. They were tattered. They couldn't wear heavy jackets like they wanted to because then they couldn't play. The body heat in the room, 350 people, kept the temperature of the room right about freezing. Snow was blowing in through the cracks in the walls. Imagine, if you will, Messiaen's wooden clogs that he had borrowed from someone else were too big for him. Messiaen, always very dramatic to the end of his life as an old man, um, told the story that the piano had keys that would stick and the cello had only three strings. Pasquier, who also lived to be an old man, uh, said he, <laughs> that was ridiculous. He could not have played that piece on three strings. There were four. The violin worked fine, but the clarinet had a slide key that was slightly melted from getting too close to the stove. Messiaen, before they started to play, addressed the crowd, telling them about the angel with the rainbow crown who said, time will be no more. And he talked about eternity. He talked about no past, no future about a time when there will be eternal light and peace. That night, the prisoners and the guards and the wounded all listened in silence for an hour to this music, performed under conditions that were not good for the instruments or the musicians. But Messiaen and his men were birds flying above the abyss, singing about light and peace in the midst of cold and darkness.
Different faiths sustain these musicians, faith in God or faith in humanity. A lot of it was faith in music, music to sustain the spirit, music to illuminate a situation, to lift a person to a place where they could see hope, where they hadn't been able to see it before. Life and death are both so powerfully present in our lives at every moment. They dance their crazy, inexplicable dance, and Easter is a time to affirm and celebrate the spirit of life which pushes through any kind of situation Even if the whole human race were wiped out, life would still be here on the earth. Life always conquers, eventually. May we take this Easter season to celebrate the spirit of life, the green fuse, that energy that illuminates the earth, that comes through us together, that is within each of us individually, let us celebrate it and see what happens. And now may you go in peace, finding within yourself the spring that comes up from the Spirit. May you find it in music, may you find it in books, in conversation, in service, in art, in hiking. May you find it. May it flow up through you and may it overflow from you onto everyone you meet. May you be a blessing. May it be so. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.